Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us. <laughs> well done, you. Our little podcast all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to fascinating conversation, stay right where you are. Hey, hope you've had a good week. I've had a busy one. Lots going on in my world, and I'm sure over the coming weeks I can fill you all in with, with everything else that I'm up to, which is good news. So in today's show, I am speaking to a lady who kind of doesn't get caught up with all the status of having a brand. Um, she's a talker. My goodness me, she's a talker. And uh, it's great to have somebody on who's got a real depth of passion and loves talking about what they're up to at the moment. I'm delighted to introduce you guys to a lady called Dea Baker. And Dea is the absolute powerhouse behind the new brand on the block. It's called Aqua and Rock. Um, these guys are a British-based sustainable women's wear brand. And they were voted this year in 2020 by Drapers as one to watch. There's no doubt in my opinion as to why, because as you listen to the episode, hopefully you'll appreciate that all the ducks are going to be lined up and this brand is going to go from strength to strength. So enjoy the episode and I'll catch you on the other side. Hey, Dea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. How are you? Are you good? Yes, thank you. And thank you for having me. You're very welcome. It's great to have you on. I've been tracking your brand from a distance and I'm so pleased that I've finally, finally managed to grab a bit of your time and we can have a chat about your brand Aqua and Rock. So before we jump in, uh, Dea, can you just give everybody a little bit of an overview what Aqua and Rock is about, where you're from and, and how you've kind of pulled it all together? Um, Aqua and Rock is a sustainable British brand. I launched it um 18 months ago um and here i am after 18 months um <laughs> talking to you <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure there's a little bit more of the story there. otherwise this is going to be a really really short podcast so, <laughs> so let me let me ask you where are you based where where's where's the business located of course uh well i'm based in scotland although uh, and we have uh, or we use as a third partner we have a manufacturing here in scotland I cool. use manufacturing partner in England and we have an office offices in London, obviously okay. for the customers. So kind of all, all over UK and uh, we, we also use a number of partners and collaborators and freelancers in Netherlands, mm. Austria, Italy. So I would say British company with a strong connection to Europe. Cool. Excellent. All right. Now I can tell by your accent, you're not from Scotland. I'm right in saying that, right? Absolutely. I used to call it very remote Scottish accent. 
So where are you from? Where's where's where did you originate? From? Yes. Well, I'm, I'm as, as people say, I'm a mixture. I've got a Dutch father and I've got a beautiful Croatian mother, but we moved a lot during my uh, childhood. So yeah. I pretty much went to school and grew up in Switzerland. So um, I would say my strong ethical and recyclable uh, views probably come from the time um, for me as a teenager growing up in Zurich. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. So what was the, um, what was the inspiration for Aqua Rock? Where did it all come from? How did you all start it all up? What, what's the story there? Um, well, approximately 18 months ago, um, I don't know whether you remember Warren, but it was um, uh, David Attenborough, Blue Planet, with just, yeah. it was yeah. vile factor. And I remember watching it with my daughter and um, it was absolutely daunting and kind of an eye opener how yeah. you know what's really going on around us and i remember at the time my daughter turned around and said mommy my generation is going to have to fix the problem your generation created of plastic pollution <laughs> okay okay and i remember talking 14 years old teenager and she was 13 yeah. at the time so that yeah. was quite for me I wouldn't kind of like a scary or but almost embarrassing. She she was absolutely right, and yeah. that was sort of a turning point for me because I was working for a fast fashion um, Italian brand, and I was trying to promote um, obviously uh, sustainability, ethical, doing mm -hmm. maybe different channels, um, and at the time they were not too keen, and I decided to then um, start on my own. Right. Okay. So you were from the industry originally. You were in the you were in the trade, right? Dad, I was in a trade, but I was always working from marketing as a part of marketing. Huh. You know, positioning brands, uh, uh, products, uh, researching. So that was that was my that was my brand background and strength. Um, mm. Finding pro um, appropriate narrative what the new collection will be about. So I that was for me when I launched Aqua and Rock. That was kind of for me. Uh, probably the easiest part <laughs> because that's yeah, my yeah. background and then suddenly when you start on your own when you're a startup first of all it's a very lonely business it's a very <laughs> challenging um, <sighs> and I mean on so many levels because obviously funding finding suppliers uh, designers yeah. and then when I actually look into it I just suddenly realized that actually there is no sustainable chain supply chain it is very easy uh, to launch a fast fashion brand. You have the money and there is a particular path you follow. Mm. So obviously design, pattern cutting, sampling, and then minimum quantities and off you go. And you create your collection. You make lots of predictions, what you think is going to work. You order it now and you basically get your stock for the next year. So what, we, what I would call, normally say it's a mass production. And because um, I was obviously, I've seen quite a bit during my time. I definitely didn't want to be part of it. And I wanted to work with sustainable material and fabric and innovation. And it wasn't mm. available. So I had to start from scratch. Wow. Okay. I mean, I mean, obviously, I've seen your brand and, you know, I've, I've dug a little deeper. And, and from what I can see, dear, you know, you've got this amazing ability to kind of stretch the 
boundaries, shall we say, you know, and kind of move into new areas of development with regards to new types of product and everything else. I really want to touch on some of those points a bit later on in the conversation, because, again, having the sustain, finding that sustainable um, production chain is challenge but taking it on to the next level is even more difficult so you know huge congratulations for doing that but i mean going back then so you you obviously were working with these other guys from a marketing perspective you had no industry experience with regards to going out and sourcing it how did you do that how did you manage to to get factories on board because obviously there, there's there's requirements that they want from people oh absolutely warren you couldn't be more right um no i mm. ha- i have no production um experience and i was never on the factory floors because there was a team production team for the companies i worked uh historically so I literally yeah. had to start from kind of a beginning, like a student, uh, look into where where do you get the fabric and then fabrics I was looking, very few were actually sustainable or something that was interesting enough uh, for me to kind of uh, consider as a potential fabric to produce um, a, a garment. And then at the time, perception of sustainability was, and still is in many respects, organic cotton. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, sustainability in terms of the lifestyle is much more uh, complex and deeper, and we can go into that later. So I had no choice but then to start because suddenly um, I discovered that um, they are, you have to start with yarn, <laughs> with basics. Mm. And, and the big problems I tend to break into small little solutions. So I started with yarn and I found amazing yarn producers uh, of recycled and ethical ethical yarn based in mm. Italy, Spain, uh, and Turkey. Uh, and then it was quite diff- <laughs> tricky to find who can actually uh, uh, weave it for me or wh- mm. where can I. And it was a lot of experiment. Not everything worked. It was lots of ups and downs. And literally, I just went to factories. Once you actually find the fabric, then obviously you need to make your dress, T-shirt, top, whatever it is. Um, and then you go to obviously a different factory and you ask, can you make me um, a dress? And then I hear my most dreaded word. What is your MOQ? What are your MOQs? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I would go 20. <laughs> and they were like, uh, time waster. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, again, just for the benefit of the listeners there, MOQs means minimum order, order quantities. So that's the big thing. And, and like you say, Dea, you know, when you go to these factories, they're used to volumes. Invariably, they're used to big volumes from big brands, big players. So it's difficult to kind of get them on board, isn't it, for those very small quantities. So when you said that, when you said to them, I only need 20, what was their response? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> There's the door. Yeah. yeah. Come back, come back when you kind of can add few zeros to those 20. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. So how, what changed? How well, did, how do you did, know what? How I did you win them round? I wasn't prepared to give up. And I just kind of like, okay, that's absolutely fine. Then I kind of suddenly started to come across a few ateliers and then I was started more and more asking questions uh, to textile producers um, do you have any are you working with any sustainable material can you produce it and then it was kind of interesting it all kind of starting to unravel they said well yes we have this we have that we can do this we can do that and suddenly the whole new world opened to me 
And then via those uh, manufacturers, those factories, and they said, well, do you know what? There are little ateliers that would normally do sampling, but they mm. can, they'll be quite happy to increase that into 20 to 30 garments. So I start working with ateliers on a small quantities. And then after a certain period of time, certain factories that I went originally who were asking me uh, for large MOQs, they basically mm. turned around and said, do you know what? We've been kind of rethinking <laughs> the whole situation and the way you're thinking. And we can maybe, because occasionally they will make a, some sort of limited additions for a client. Yeah. And said, perhaps we could, if we invest a little bit, we can expand on that smaller quantity um, brands. Mm. And that's kind of, as I said, that was a process. I sort of, for months and months, I was in factory, I was working, I was experimenting. And then more and more things were starting to come out um, and more invention. And it was just, um, I mean, it was beautiful. I'm talking beautiful. I'm actually in a dusty factory. Uh, <laughs> 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 and uh, as I said, the fluff's everywhere. But it was very creative and very inspiring. And then when you come to... Um, uh, either the owners of the factory, because normally those factories are quite often owned by families. When you come and you try to create something new and they are proud of what they do, that, that it, it was kind of the attitude and suddenly they started to enjoy. And it was just suddenly almost like the whole thing opened up and starting to organically grow in a dusty factory. Mm. So that was <laughs> that was the nice part. Yeah. <laughs> I think, again, it, it just goes back to the importance of relationships, yes. doesn't it? You know, because you went in there kind of naive and, and kind of wide eyed and they they must also have a process where they eliminate people that they can invest time and effort with. But you really earned your respect by doing exactly what you did, getting involved, getting an understanding of their business and finding a solution because, that's exactly what the factory want, you know, and, and then it comes back and it pays back at a later date when you become more successful. And again, we can talk about your success and what you've achieved in the last 18 months, which I still think is incredible <laughs> to, to think that you had no experience of working with factories and you got in and you made it happen. In fact, I've got another podcast um, coming up next week, actually, which is a very similar story to some extent of somebody that just gets the bit between their teeth and just goes in and makes it happen. But the great thing about it is those relationships will last for a long, long time. They will see you and that factory through the good times and the bad times. And that's really, really important that we get that over to people. So that's amazing. That's amazing. And what was your inspiration for the brand itself? I mean, you, you've got the factories yeah. now, you've got the supply, which is amazing. How did you um, how did you formulate the range? What was what was the thought process behind bringing a collection together? Oh, well, then again, go back into um, what sustainability is, and obviously the name Arco and Rock, and um, obviously something that I bring from um, my personal life, if that makes sense. So mm. I, I think the whole collection and the brand is quite a lot about me personally, um, yeah. and it. Uh, obviously, sustainability for me, when I come to collection, I call it timeless. One of the reasons um, I chose to call it a timeless because sustainable for me means not just the fabric. Uh, mm. uh, it means that you need to be sustainable in terms of the quality, 
that you that I'm going to produce that will last, that tailoring, the garment, the printing, that's something that's mm -hmm. going to go beyond this season. Also, I, when I'm talking about sustainability, my aim was to uh, create a design that will be, again, that will go just beyond this season. I always, mm. uh, one of the inspiration for me in terms of the collection was a, um, an interesting story. Uh, there is a pussy bow blouse that I wear today, mm. but that pussy bow blouse uh, is uh, 54 years old. My mother <laughs> bought that blouse um, uh, in Paris in 1966 as a young lady who just graduated and got a little bit of money and, and award from her much older brother. Uh, to, like a little treat. Yeah. And it's a beautiful pussy bow blouse, a beautiful flowery floral print. And um, as I said, 55 years old, and I wore that particular uh, blouse in year 2000. And at the time, people thought, oh, yeah. that's a beautiful vintage piece. And now I wear it, they said, oh, yeah. it's a very contemporary, lovely. Where did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> and so your point there is literally that it's not just down to the fabric and the sustainability and the and the and the trace, yeah. shall we say, the provenance of the fabric, but it's in the styling as well. That's Absolutely. basically what you're saying. So and then it kind of gave me also um like going back to my mother, her generation, women knew exactly how they're gonna look when they're young, 30 or 20 year old, how they're gonna look when they're 50. So it was almost like this is a mm. hairstyle or this is a fashion you're going to follow. Today, that's absolutely not the case anymore. Women, we don't age in that man anymore. We all still want to look after themselves. I'm, an, I'm a middle-aged woman, but I don't want to look frumpy. I still want to look glamorous and attractive. Mm. I, my aim is to produce and is to have a collection that even my teenage daughter can wear, as well as me. We would buy the same top. We would just style it a different way. And that's mm. also, again, sustainable. And that's something that will last. She will tie it around her belly and show her tummy to my <laughs> horror. <laughs> and I will put a lot of belts and scarves <laughs> to hide it. And drape yeah, accordingly. Yeah. So it's a kind of everything age appropriate. <laughs> Yeah. And how do you get that across? Because obviously, if you it's, it's easier in a store, obviously, if you've got, you know, you've got mannequins and you've got people wearing this product. But from an online point of view, does that reflect in your imagery? Do you try and think about that when you're doing your shoots? And such uh, well, with coronavirus, as you can imagine, we had so many um, mm. issues and obviously limitations. And how can we do Quite often we could we could use only one uh, model, not having you know the idea yeah. was obviously and hopefully that will obviously change soon. So I had to come across a lot of obstacles. I being a startup, coronavirus, yeah. no production. It's been a challenge. <laughs> yeah, gosh, um, hasn't it but, just? Um, and then we had to go in. Uh, obviously, when retail and everything else closed due, due to coronavirus, we had to think about um, how do I present and how do I showcase? And obviously, we started to work more on the videos, virtual, uh, then photography um, model. It, it it hasn't been easy. I, I didn't have, uh, because of the circumstances, all the tools I would like to have. However, it's all about make the best of what you have. So um, mm. it has been good. It has been good in the end, and I, I'm kind of the positive outcome. But uh, there were quite a few 
as we say, Aquine rock moments <laughs> when I thought it sort yeah. of collapsed. But you just have to keep driving. Yeah. And what's the brand done? I mean, has the brand, what kind of, in, how have you communicated that to the consumer during the pandemic? Is there anything that you've done, especially that's kind of stands out over the last few well, months? Well, it's been interesting because obviously um, we just, it's interesting story because we did in February, just before coronavirus, we had big success in London and had our own fashion show. And that was really successful. Mm -hmm. And we were done. Oh, I thought, fantastic. We are, there we go. Clients, customers, you know, US, uh, Europe, UK. Oh, wonderful. I thought, oh. And then coronavirus came and we lost absolutely everything. And then I realized, God, mm. what do I do now? I need to rethink um, how do I take this forward? And then it came as a consequence, this terrible retail story whereby big fast fashion brands abandoned um, workers in um, India and Bangladesh. And I came across mm. a few contacts and, you know, my small little brand, we actually uh, bought some uh, abandoned stock and um, adapted to our own brand and start selling and offering um, to people. I said, look, all the proceeds is to actually support coronavirus NHS. And, but also these poor people oh, wow. in, in Bangladesh will at least get some money out of this. Yeah, okay. So there was factories, obviously, that had got, extra stock that hadn't been because I know what happened certainly from the people that I spoke to in kind of March and April they'd booked yes. forward orders on the behalf of brands and then yes. people had pulled out you know retailers didn't want them people didn't need the stock because they're absolutely shut. so that that obviously left a big problem with the factories because they'd got stock they'd got commitment they'd got fabric so you you bought that fabric and and repurposed that's it. right Is that right that's, exa Is that that's exactly that's exactly what i did i bought some plain t-shirts yeah. uh we bought some fabric um and, and you know bits and pieces wherever we could afford we are very mm. you know we are small independent brand i don't have a buying power of uh, uh yeah. h&m so yes uh, we yeah. did what we could to be part yeah. of it but that had some nice domino effect um uh, because suddenly we we uh, we started to be noticed because uh, in all this kind of at one point it was very doom and gloom and then pure london and the drapers picked up the story and said well this is something positive uh, that people are actually yeah. not just kind of feeling sorry for themselves they're actually going and looking and driving forward so during that period um obviously we started a rescue disc collection and in coronavirus i kind of i had the time to rethink how, what do i do next how do i grow because i refuse to stay still um because that will be disastrous for a brand and then we started mm. designing this timeless collection during this difficult time and everything was zoom and virtual <laughs> but then steadily the whole collection started to grow and it's been obviously launched recently. Every now, one of the last garments are coming through now. Okay. I mean, that's great. I mean, it just shows the adaptability of of people in the industry, you know, to, to look at the situation. We can't change. There's some things we can change. There's some things yeah. we simply can't, you know. And I, th I think what is really important is your brand seems to adapt it itself well, not only to product and development, but also the circumstances of, you know, the way the world is at the moment. So it's interesting you mentioned about Drapers, because obviously I know you were... 
very privileged and you um you won an award you won uh one to watch in 2020 yeah. who would have known that the year was going to pan out the way it was how did all that came about i mean was that on the back of of, of you this initiative that you had to buy the product or how, how did you get uh, no, on there right well that's nothing to do with uh those two things are not connected um, um the campaign okay. i did that absolutely has no link um when uh, obviously because you have to apply for we applied for award in i can't remember from top of my head somewhere like a february time way before coronavirus had actually mm. happened um and at the time i was very young brand very much a startup we were starting sustainable and this is a for the first time they actually have a sustainable award and i thought do you know what i'm mm. Uh, before that, I read that one of the big brands said, oh, we turn sustainable. And, what, and they wrote a big article saying, oh, we don't use plastic bag for packaging anymore. I said, well, great, but I mean, that's a little bit overstretched. <laughs> so I thought, you know what, um, when, you, when I'm looking at my fabrics and my material, even at that time, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to try. And we did apply for it. And at the time, I was just kind of happy to go through the process, to be honest. And I thought, do you know what? Mm. If I get just get nominated, I'll be more than happy. It will be mm. a sign of recognition. And then mm. <laughs> when they actually send me an email and they call me and they said, you won. I was like, really? Me? Are you sure yeah. it's not another brand with yeah, a thing? It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it is amazing because I think what you're, I mean, you're very oh. modest there, Dea, you know, because you're actually voted as yes. a change maker, not just a sustainable brand. You know, this is somebody in the industry has only been doing the job for <laughs> bloody 18 months that has been recognised as a change maker. And that kind of leads me on a little bit to what you're doing now going forward, because I know we've had a conversation previously. And I think from a styling point of view, I want you to explain to the listeners how you've looked at the way that styling has changed. But also, I want you to try and give us a bit of an insight to what you're looking at with regards to product and, and developing fabrics and new ways of executing yes, things. Um... Well, during coronavirus, um, obviously, lots of companies had an opportunity to rethink the situation and how the, um, the whole industry will change and go forward, which was a positive thing. Lots of companies I've been talking and I've been working with, they came back, well, we're coming with a new thing. And it was kind of like a little bit of collaboration. There is a, quite a few. I'm working now uh, developing new blends, mixing hemp uh, and linen and some organic cotton, we also came across uh, Visco's um, uh, particular um, uh, fabric that is made out of wood waste. So we're looking a lot into wow. invention. So you don't have to cut the trees, all of that. Because for me, sustainable, we're trying to put a lot of um, uh, waste back into the life cycle or product cycle. So um, trying to either mm. recycle, upcycle, uh, depending on the product it's all sorts of options we're looking also i use uh, and i'm looking into different industries so for example um being sustainable brand we as a sustainable brand we do use leather which is quite a lot of people a bit of surprised but that's a it's a sustainable mm. because that leather comes from food industry you see so that's a way so somebody yeah. else's waste or somebody else's rubbish trash is my treasure so we just found a new lease of mm. life then for example um uh we use uh we're just launching a new product uh, and that literally came from atelier 
um, is a um, uh, new product made from hay. So we produce now a material that's made of hay. We used, obviously, comes from furniture industry that was developed. But now I adapt mm. and I made hay dried rose petals and Swarovski crystal bag, which is quite special and unique. So, um, wow. yeah, we uh, also we now uh, have stone, which we're going to make a bag of. And as I said, uh, blending. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ho hold on a minute there. You're yes. going to make a bag out of stone. <laughs> <laughs> How on earth is it's that It's a very work? sustainable. What's, what's it <laughs> It'll last for a long time. It's very heavy. <laughs> how what what's the process there so how are you going to make a bag out of stone right like um as i said we need to know uh, we can't keep thinking uh, in some sort of fast fashion long-term production we need to think a little bit outside the box to become more sustainable ethical mm. and try to use innovations different industry and this is exactly in construction industry uh they use stone a lot obviously to be able to build but their technology is developed more mm. and more and then obviously now you can cut this stone very thinly and if you do you can actually kind of place it on a fabric and you can produce a material that is that can bend and follow the particular shapes yeah. so it's kind of like one right, millimeter okay, thin okay. It's beautiful. So, <laughs> so it's very very, very thin very very, very thin yes, stone yes, that's interesting it's a, it's a german technology but uh the actual stone come it's italian yeah and how do you think um, how do you think products developing? Because your your range at the moment yes. is just yes. ladies' wear. Am I yes. right in saying it's just ladies? Are you going to extend that in into men's and accessories and no homewares? What's where where well, are you going to go with the brand? Definitely uh, expanding. And I don't know whether you're aware. Recently, we advertised for a positions for the menswear designer and uh, homeware. Homeware expanded kind of okay. as sort of a consequence of um, coronavirus because people went home, loads of them, it's not much to do, so loads of people went uh, decorating. And we certainly put few, I, I put few products because I had, um, I, I knew, I know amazing artists. And uh, we just put, and they just went crazy. We sold out. So I thought, mm, this is interesting because mm. <laughs> I need to make money as well. So we started to expand mm. this range. Then my hay lamps came and all of this kind of started to come together. And we now work into, first of all, expand home range. We found um, a couple of amazing um, designers and artists. They will help us to grow that particular uh, section. And also, um, you'll be interested to know, today I offered a job to an amazing designer uh, to create menswear. So watch for menswear. Yeah, great. So it's definitely going to grow it is. into a lifestyle. I'm definitely right? growing because yeah, mean, during so. coronavirus, one thing we mm. did was a we launched art trainer section, which is a footwear, and that's so um, I'm okay. going to, for time being, remain just in a trainers, um, and then as I said, we'll just grow mm. organically. Quite a lot of things just comes to us, mm. and then we just say, okay, let's just develop. But the menswear, because obviously we now have mm. fabric, we have all sorts of things uh, that I can kind of, uh, it's kind of like almost transferable into a man. So we kind of, uh, we can mm. add quite easily. So that's nice. Yeah.
Yeah. And also your brand yes. name, Aquaman Rock, obviously there's connotations of, of men and women there, you know, which is which is also really good. And how was it, what was it like oh. recruiting <laughs> for somebody? How, how did you find that process <laughs> at the moment? No. Was it difficult? Yeah, but in an interesting and challenging way, I have to laugh. We literally, um, um, we... We received all together in seven days 1,380 applications. Really? For, for yeah, a uh, design uh, job? Homeware and uh, fashion designer, yes. It was, wow, okay, uh, yes, that's on, incredible. Um, on one day, we received over 500 emails and our uh, IT system collapsed and <laughs> clocked up. Goodness me. And what kind of caliber? I mean, was 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 you know, were you getting forklift truck drivers that need a job, and they well, think, oh, I'll have a go at this. I mean, with it was 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 there a real uh, mix of people uh, there? Yes, or? it was. Um, I would say, uh, yeah, the range is. I don't know how to explain this. It's such a spectrum that um, I, I have to say I've never mm. seen anything like before. I was speaking to another brand, somebody who has it. He said. Uh, Normal times you will get between 20, depends on the position, between 20 to 50 applications. And the coronavirus, they expected about 200, 300 maybe, but nobody expected over 1,000. That was mm. just crazy. The spec, I mean, people who worked for major, major big brands, and, and I mean, we're talking um, people who have amazing amount of experience, and that is from fast fashion, from premium mm. brands, from places like uh, Givenchy, yeah. Dior, uh, Design. I just kind of went, wow. are you sure you, you want to come with your little me? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, with my stone bag. Like a, you know, like a bag lady, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a mad yeah. bad lady and, from um, Scotland. Um, oh my and we also have some really, really creative. <laughs> and there's a couple of people who actually, it was quite interesting, we're going to collaborate um, they come from a different industry, like a product development, quite technical, but they have some new technology mm. uh, they want to develop into a home range product. And we actually, I'm actually talking to them now. So, and I also have a kitchen cleaner okay. uh, <laughs> who fancied a life situation. <laughs> so it has been like. Oh, wow. Yes, but you yes. found somebody now. Yeah, you found somebody. And what was it about this guy? First of all, the way he approached me, you see. Um, second of all, he specializes in men and he is very creative. He also cares about sustainability, mm. also understands contemporary mm. kind of streetwear, but understands the classic pieces as well. Um, and that's mm. certainly because men are very different, you see, uh, in terms of what the men men would wear so for example i've noticed in general and what the statistics show like 75 percent of sale goes to women and only about 20 to 25 percent goes to men and then when you look at the men's selection kind of mm. the, the, it, 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 i'm not saying it's basic but it's a lot smaller than women because you have a less varieties so but then within that you need mm. to be unique and need to position as, uh, you need to have some sort of i call it a little bit of oomph why would you go for because the colors are not as the uh, variations of colors in men generally, not saying everywhere, but generally as not as uh, as big as as in women collection. So this guy kind of in terms of like, even mm. when he designed something plain black, it had a certain quirky detail. And I quite like that. Mm. 
Um, and he was, uh, it's just somebody who looked all aspects that will kind of be uh, uh, suitable for Aqua as a brand, Aqua and Roth as a brand. And also working with you as well, because obviously that's difficult, isn't it? Especially when people are working remotely. It's difficult. It's different situation when you've got a studio and everyone sat around a desk, but you've got to trust him. He's got to trust you. You've got to be on the same wavelength. You've got to have the same values. It's a difficult thing. That It's a difficult thing. But, you know, I mean, listen, I know your brand and I know the way you're going to develop moving forward, because listening to you now, Dare, it's pretty obvious that you've got a really solid background from maybe it's from your marketing. Maybe it's just understanding what a brand is about. But, you know, I think executing that, which you're obviously doing as it stands at the moment, I I just think it's going to be definitely, I agree with the (laughs) Draper's Award, one to watch for not just this year, because we've not got a lot left, but moving forward. I mean, you must be really excited about next year and and, and what that holds. What kind of things have you got planned for next year? Is there anything you can tell Uh, us for next year? Yes, we just exhibited in New York. It was virtual um, at Curate IC, and that was real, uh, uh, it was received really well. So we're opening a New markets. We're opening the German market. We've just signed up um, for a license in Australia, so obviously expand because uh, uh, we as a brand have yeah. been very well received um, um, outside the UK, which wasn't originally planned. I'm obviously I'm, I'm looking forward to yeah. growing men's uh, uh, men collection as well as uh, obviously complementing, and we're looking into kidswear as well. Um, so there are a few things, not obviously all at the same time, but kind of like just we're going to keep adding and adding and growing. And I want to, I really enjoy homeware as a lifestyle. It's quite inventive and I'm really looking forward to, to develop that. And some amazing, from this um, uh, 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 job advertising, some amazing individuals and, and freelancers and, and, and artists came came about and probably going to be quite a few that we're going to do some work with amazing amazing i've got a quick question actually about your daughter what's what's her mindset now at 18 months on from from you guys sat there on the couch kind of her tutting your way into now you producing a lifestyle fashion brand which has got sustainable value what's her um, thoughts on that she's my uh, biggest critic (laughs) biggest supporter She's obviously very, very proud of me, and um, and I'm obviously proud of her. Yeah. You know, this is just as I said, as a mother, you can't be uh, objective, so that's normal. But she keeps me firmly on the ground. She's very proud of me, but she also tells me, no, "This doesn't work. I don't think so." <laughs> or she would go. It's- has she got any aspirations? Has she got any ideas that she wants to come into uh, no, the business? No, Is that not an option? She wants to be a vet, a veterinarian. <laughs> so she's very much into science. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she enjoys fashion, no yeah. doubt about that. And she um, uh, she went with me to Pure London. Or she came with me and she loved it. But um, she seemed to yeah. think that's a bit of a hobby. <laughs> we need to be serious. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she sounds as if she's got her feet well and truly oh, firmly planted she's into already, the ground. So. <laughs> where in the university <laughs> she's going, she planned all of this. <laughs> and just one last question before I leave you to get on with what you've got to do today, because no doubt you're busy. What's, what is it, uh, Dea, that makes you get up and do what you do? How could you summarise that oh, statement? Creativity, inspiration, innovation, knowing every day is different for me. Because when you have your own business, you have to do or mm. look at the moment everything. 
and working with amazing people, creating new things. Not everything works. I mean, I had quite a lot of disasters. Mm. But being part of that process, you know, just even when you're in a dusty factory, knowing that something, that kind of beautiful things going to come out, I just love it. I just call it like, I think Aqua and Rock, everything we have been through as a startup, it's like a renaissance project. It's where one of the bloodiest periods in the history, yeah. everyone was at the war and killing each other, but then you got Leonardo, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I don't know, Michelangelo, Botticelli. So all of this came in, it, it seems like that mm. sort of environment, it seems to kind of press people and push the boundaries of creativity to a really high level. And that did show when over a thousand people applied for a job, the level of brain and mind yeah. creativity and ability, it's... Uh, amazing um i spent literally whole weekend at the time all over 10 hours just looking at people work on and and i just went wow 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 i mean there were some funny moments mm, no doubt about mm. that but it's this kind of innovation creative creativity that really drives me what next i'm gonna do what next idea who's going to approach me that really really inspires me yeah, I mean, it's great to hear your optimism. I think that's probably the best word. You know, you are so optimistic about not only what you're doing, but what we're doing as an industry. And I feel very much along the same route. You know, it has been horrendous. It can only go one way. We just need good people in the industry that are going to take it there. And um, it's been an absolute delight chatting to you. And I really genuinely could chat with you for hours and hours and hours. And um, I'm going to be so excited to see what's happening with your brand, especially with your new development. So thank you on behalf of Behind the Brands and also the listeners. I thank really you appreciate for having your time. me. Thanks very much. I thoroughly enjoyed that episode. I hope you did too. Thanks, Dea, for your time and sharing all that wonderful information with the listeners. Um, there was some real depth in that conversation, so all's good. All the information about Aqua and Rock will be in the show notes, so please check those out. And I'm sure we'll be hearing lots and lots in the future about Aqua and Rock. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Do you want to start a fashion brand? Have you got a great concept, but you're a little bit strapped for cash? Many people are. And one option to that problem is crowdfunding. So whether it's a GoFundMe page or a Kickstarter campaign, that could be a route for you guys to get your product to market. So if you, if that's interesting to you, then take a listen to the next episode because I'm talking to a brand that's doing exactly that. I'll be talking to Alana Redrick from the brand Trikind. Alana is another go-getter. I seem to be surrounding myself with these empowering people, which is great, and hopefully you're enjoying it. And Alana is the type of girl that knows what she wants to do, and more importantly, she's going out and she's making it happen. She's got great vision, she understands what she wants, and she knows what she needs to achieve that goal. So if that's for you, then stick around. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and thanks for your ongoing support. I really appreciate it. I'll see you soon. Behind the Brands was brought to you in association with BeforeStores.com. Go check it out. You can discover new brands, meet the makers and their products before they go into stores. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. We'd really appreciate your feedback. You can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, keep learning, keep listening and keep creative.